Our scripture reading for this morning is from Psalm 129, a song of essence. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from the youth, my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back, they made long the furrows. The Lord is righteous, he has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backward. Let them be like grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Recognized as this great artist. Well, 
to us, this is what art is, was for him something completely unrecognized. And what we may want to do, if we were to somehow suspend ourselves above history, and we go back to the time when this man was alive, and if we could, if it was possible for us to speak something to him, we may say something like this. Don't give up. Your acceptance is coming. You will be appreciated. You will be loved. Don't believe this narrative of rejection. Stay healthy. Stay alive. If you would just hold on in the midst of these afflictions, then you would see that all of these afflictions are actually fueling you towards a better life. Psalm 29 is really meant to be those kinds of words to God's people. To say, wherever you are in your current afflictions, whatever is weighing you down, is to say, take the bigger picture of what God is doing in the world and hold on. Resist in those afflictions and you will grow out of them. You will see it made beautiful. You will be loved. You will be appreciated. You will be free. You will be in a better place. You will be blessed. Even though you don't feel it right now. Resist this affliction and you will find beauty. Don't give up. Because the enemies that will afflict you, and there are many enemies of the people of God, the enemies that will afflict you will say things like, Resistance is futile. I think that's a Star Trek reference. I'm not sure. But I know that phrase is common now. Resistance is futile. But the psalm is written for us to see, no, it's not. Actually, resisting affliction and being, uh, being aware of what's happening to you is actually the way that you grow by fighting the, the voices that, that, that tell you and keep you down in whatever it is that keeps you from having greater faith, from having experience of God's love, are actually the things that are fueling your growth. Here's what I want us to see. Resistance to all kinds of affliction is the only pathway to Christian growth. Resistance to the affliction. And we're talking about any number of afflictions here. The psalm actually doesn't tell us what the affliction is, I believe, on purpose, because we are to understand all kinds of afflictions from this. Who are these enemies? Well, it could be our own hearts. It could be the world that is set against us. It could be our own flesh. It could be the devil. It could be um, naysayers, people that are um, destructive to our faith, friendships that are toxic. It could be all kinds of things. But actually what we need to see is resist that affliction and you will find beauty on the other side. I want us to look at the, the expectation of affliction, the end of affliction, and then finally the emptiness of the afflictors. Let's just walk straight through the psalm. First, the expectation 
second time we've seen this kind of language of let Israel now say. Can I get an amen? This is a psalm that is used in public worship. I mean, we're all here, is what the psalm is saying. Don't we know that this is true? We have expected to see this affliction, and it's been there from our youth. This is everyone's individual story. Come on, can I get an amen? This is, this is our story. Let Israel now say it. We know that we are afflicted. Now, that's not as true of every individual Israelite. Perhaps the psalm is referencing here the afflictions from the youth of the nation. What would that be? Well, it could be the story of Israel in Egypt, right? They were afflicted from their youth. From the early days when Joseph's family was captured in Israel, they, from the youth, from the early stages of Israel's story, they were afflicted in Egypt. They were in bondage. What is this affliction? Like I said, I think it's not intentionally broad, but here it seems like it's somewhat economic in nature because it refers to the fields and the furrows of Israelite's economy. There's kind of a theme throughout of sowing and reaping and a very picture of economic trouble perhaps um, that Israel faced from now from time to time. But it's also a picture of pain. Look at verse 3. The flowers plowed on my, on my back. They made long their furrows. I think you get the picture. There's a plow behind, pulled by a team of oxen, and instead of plowing the ground, they're picturing their face down on the ground, and the plow is running over them. It's digging into their back. It's a picture of pain. It's a picture of humiliation, face down in the dust. And so the specific type of affliction here is not mentioned. It could be many different things. What are the things that make your work difficult, that make your economy difficult, that cause you pain, that discourage and humiliate you? What are those things? Let Israel now say, this is common. Let's acknowledge that this happens. It is expected. And in fact, Psalm 129 fits in well with the rest of the scriptures. James tells us, when you experience hardship, when, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Hebrews 5 tells us that Jesus had the same pathway. Jesus learned obedience through what? Through what he suffered. It was through the afflictions, the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. That's how he learned obedience. Said, well, that's a challenging theological passage that I'm trying to unpack. But clearly, Jesus' pathway to obedience involved his suffering. Paul tells us this in the book of Acts. So Luke writes the book of Acts and talking about Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. He says this in Acts 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. The way that we must go into the kingdom of God is through tribulations. That's what they did. That's what they told them to 
James says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we have actually the power to resist affliction. Whatever happens to us, it doesn't mean that we always can end our experience of suffering. But we can actually fight back against the powers of darkness. Because of what Jesus has done. And if we're in him, then we have also crushed the head of the serpent. This is important to keep in mind that affliction has ended, even though we don't see all of its effects yet. And so we resist those who say things like, life is terrible and then you die. Or just taking the perspective of that everything is meaningless. We have faith that Jesus has done what needed to be done. And we resist because we're united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're trusting in the God who took on that affliction himself the way that the Lord does this. He cuts, uh, cuts off the cord from the wicked. The way that he disempowers the forces that are against him is by taking the affliction that we are experiencing and deserve for himself. And then we're united to Christ. And then everything that's true of him is true of us. Affliction ends. George McDonald, great author and influence, C.S. Lewis, said this way, The Son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings may be like this. You see, he says, the Son of God suffered, yes, to end all suffering one day, but right now he's bringing us along into his suffering. Remember, the early disciples, they, they, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer like Jesus suffered, to share in his sufferings. And so you see the opportunity here. When the suffering comes along, we expect it, we see it coming, we, we name it, and then we say, this is the opportunity to be Christ-like. This is where I am called right now to be united to Christ in His death. We trust also that it is not on us to end that suffering. It's in what God has already done. The psalm then ends with a few verses about the emptiness of the afflictors. And this is actually very comforting when you're resisting affliction, is to realize that whatever is against you is empty. Ultimately, it's empty. Though it's true that you're experiencing the affliction, it's also true that the power that that affliction has will dry up. Everything else is empty 
Experiencing Jesus' hard words is hard right now. But where are these people going? What are they turning to? Where they're finding so much more life outside of Christ. This is the way that this psalm ends. It's like saying, look, you may be experiencing affliction, but realize to go somewhere else would be the pathway towards emptiness. What kind of emptiness are we talking about? Well, there's no harvest and no benediction. No harvest and no benediction. Look at the flowers in verse 3. Those who plow upon the back, they made long their furrows. What happens to their harvest? They get none. Verse 6. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, but which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. There's two pictures of a useless harvest. There's the grass on the rooftop. Maybe this grass that gets put on the rooftop when the sun hits it and it's young grass. Maybe it sprouts up a little bit on the roof, but it's, there's, no, there's no root system. It's not in the ground, and so it withers. Or perhaps what he means here is that the grass that's not good, the grass that's going to get thrown away, eventually ends up on a rooftop because that's the kind of grass that dies. Either way, it's a kind of useless grass for growing purposes. The harvest is so small that the, the reaper cannot fill his hands so the binder achieves his arms. There is nothing to take home from this harvest. It's really sad. Those who afflict the people of God are what an empty harvest. And this makes sense with the way that the Bible talks about what evil is. Evil is unproductive. It is a parasite. You know, there's, there really isn't this thing, this evil and opposite force called evil. There is the good that God made, and then there's the parasite on the good that tries to suck the life out of the good. That's what evil is. It's not this evil and opposite force. And so it's not a thing in and of itself. It is only a thing that robs what is good. And so, the picture of the flower, he's causing all this pain and this humiliation on the backs of God's people. It doesn't produce anything in the long run. There's nothing that comes from that pain from their perspective. You will not win. You will not gather any harvest from such a poor farming technique. Eventually, those that produce nothing and only take will fade because there is no substance. There is no contribution. There is no harvest. And secondly, there is no benediction. They get no blessing, verse 8. Nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. They're robbed of that little phrase. Now, why is that a big deal? This is the benediction on their work. It was a kind of liturgy to working the fields in Israel. We actually see an example of this in the book of Ruth. So in Ruth chapter 2, you remember the story of Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, the great hero of the story. He has a field and he has a little 
to God. And that's very much in the Old Covenant tied to the land that they would produce this crop and that this be the sense that the Lord is with us. We're serving Him. But those who plow on the backs of God's people, they don't have that blessing, nor will people say to them as they pass by the Lord bless you, they are robbed of this blessing. And there's great encouragement in this, that the harvest is non-existent for those who afflict God's people, and the benediction is not there. We can turn that around and take the opposite to apply it to ourselves, which is this. If those who afflict us will not receive a harvest and will not receive the blessing of God, who will? You will. You will receive the harvest, the fruit of your labor, working against this affliction, continuing on in your faith, even when it's really hard, you will receive, the Bible says, the harvest of righteousness. It will be given to you. And you will also receive the final blessing of God. The Lord's blessing will be upon you. You will bless the name of the Lord. The final benediction will be for you, not for the enemies of God. You know, there's a beautiful way that uh, Toy Story 3 ends. You know, I've got, I've got to warn you, get around the tissues. Toy Story, it will, it will get you. I'm sure I can get it. Toy Story 3 is when Andy, I think, is going to college. I'm going to get that right. He's going to college. Andy, you know the story, right? Andy has his toys. The toys have a life of their own. And at the end of Toy Story 3, He's giving away the toys to someone else. And, and there's this uh, friend of mine coming to this album. He's like, do you notice? It's kind of like a healthy benediction on the toys. As he gives them away, he's telling this other little kid, I forget the story exactly, this is, these are awesome toys. And he blesses each one of them as he, as he gives them away. And so he says this about Jesse. You know, she's the roughest of this tower on the whole west. Look Jesse. This is Rex. The meanest, most terrifying dinosaur who ever lived. Rawr! Not slinky. He's as loyal as any dog you could want. And this is Buzz Lightyear. The coolest boy ever. Look, he can fly. He can shoot lasers. And then, of course, you find Flea, main character. At the bottom of the box, he says, This has been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you ever. He'll be there for you no matter what. See, Andy is blessing, blessing the toys as he releases them. And if you go back and watch the movies, you can see what is the story all about? It's about affliction. It's, it's conflict from start to finish. The boys are jealous. The boys are suffering. Uh, you know, they're protecting uh, Andy from the Emperor Reserve. Um, they are they're trying to, you know, prevent Sid from killing other toys. Like they have all this conflict, all this affliction. But there's this other theme that runs through. It's like, but if we could just be Andy's toy, you know, then, then this would be worth it. Because that's their identity. And, you know, you get to the end of the story and they receive this blessing. Andy, it makes the affliction worth it to be able to say, I was his. This is great.
affliction, there would be no story. Without conflict, there would be no search for that blessing. It was necessary. It was expected. We expect that in a movie to see the affliction, but then it's to be resolved in a blessing. That's the same privilege of your life found in God. It is a story of affliction. The Bible does not hide that. Whatever it is that you're experiencing that's hard is expected. You're going to experience affliction. But we take that affliction, we resist it, we say, this doesn't have the final say. In fact, we give thanks for it, as James says, when various trials come to life, because it shows that this affliction means that I have real faith. We give thanks, we resist it, because we are awaiting the harvest that is promised to us for our hard work, and we're awaiting that final benediction from the Lord, the Lord bless you. It can be experienced now, but it will not be fully experienced until later. But in the meantime, we can have hope. Because the afflictors will not have any substance. Whatever it is that is set against you will not prevail because it's empty. But what you do have is the promise of God that He will cut the cords of the wicked, that He will turn them backwards. And so whatever affliction we are experiencing, you know, it will not end in emptiness. It will end in the blessing of God. Let's pray. Father, I know that for many in the room, affliction is not...